Welcome to another episode of Head the Gong. I'm going to call it Just Head the Gong. I'm not going to go with the Head the Gong podcast because that sounds redundant. And it is redundant. And um, I'm going to try some new things. Obviously, you know, everything I do on this podcast is extemporaneous and I just want to keep it fun for me. And I'm not going to do it unless it is fun and it requires zero preparation, zero thought, and has zero quality control. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. I've uh, been enjoying spring break, have the week off from work, and as usual, you know, I spend more time thinking about, uh, you know, what's the new format going to be on the podcast or in my studio. Of course, I rearranged everything for the 10,000th time. Um, as a way to avoid actually recording anything, but I finally did get my studio set up the way I wanted. And yesterday was a really good music day. Uh, I recorded a couple covers and put them on my YouTube channel. Um, you know, Isaac dust, you can just Google that. I have an Instagram as well, where I put, put my little, short audio and video things up there. I don't use Facebook anymore. It's just, uh, I don't know. I don't like people knowing who I am. I like to keep it anonymous. And even though sticking to uh, YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and not actually engaging with people that know me in real life has its limitations because... the people I know in real life are much more likely to actually listen to this. But I just honestly don't care. I'm doing this for myself because I enjoy it. And uh, yeah, that's just that's just the way it's going to be. So as far as the podcast goes, I'm going to try to, again, I'm going to keep it extemporaneous, but I'm going to throw in a few uh, different little gimmicks. One thing I've been doing throughout the lockdown period is, um, as a school counselor, I've had to do these social emotional learning lessons via Zoom, and I'm recording all these videos. I bought a whole bunch of puppets off of Amazon for this purpose um, and established a whole bunch of characters. One of the characters is this uh, robot supercomputer named Mac, there's a whole mythology that I set up um, that involves, you know, the school mascot and this whole cast of characters that lives under the school building. I'm not going to go into that here, but of all the characters, this little robot supercomputer named Mac, which stands for most awesome computer, is the one I have the most fun with. He's got his own voice, and when I'm speaking in that voice... Uh, it's just funny to me. It's like the, this, this character takes on a personality that, uh, I like interacting with. I know that sounds insane, but for the purpose of the videos, of course, I'm always saying, you know, what do you think Mac? And then I cut to this robot puppet that, um, talks in this other voice and we have this rapport that's probably the most fun thing about doing all the lessons because I hate zoom I just uh, I'm just totally not into it I'm glad to be going back to work for real here after the spring break but the only part that's been fun with has been my interaction with this character so I was going to bring bring him in to the podcast because uh, I just thought it would be fun and since I'm just talking to myself just adds a a different dimension to things and um, also both myself and Mac in the elementary school context where our humor and mode of expression is obviously restrained because I don't want to get fired or corrupt the minds of the youth but in this context, uh, we can maybe be a little bit more free. So 
Anyway, I'm going to try a little something different and uh, kind of bring Mac on board. What do you think about that, bro? I think it's a great idea. Uh, one of the things that I really want to do there, uh, Mr. Bob. Can I call you Mr. Bob or are you going by Isaac Dust? Oh, boy, that's really intriguing. Not. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to call you uh, Mr. Bob or Bob or Jackass. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... I love that you're inviting me on the podcast because, you know, I am a listener and one of the things that uh, is quite self-evident when listening to your podcast is that you have this persona where you're like the the contrarian, anti-woke, I, I can see through all the mainstream stuff type of uh, perspective that uh, is frankly laughable. And I when I'm listening, I always want to just, just shout. I actually do shout. Uh, out loud at my iPod because I, I just want to argue with pretty much everything you say and put you in your place. Uh, and now that I'm actually on the show, I can do just that. I can challenge all your bullshit and uh, it's going to be fun um, completely owning you uh, in just about every uh, aspect. So really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me. So anyway, I'll just... I'll, uh, I'll shut up for now, but I, I can't wait to jump in and just rip you a new one. Um, okay, so that's a, that's a little taste of uh, how I'm going to annoy you for the rest of this episode. But anyway, so what have I been doing? Like I said, I'm, I'm definitely uh, getting back into the music, recorded a couple of covers, and... Um, one of the things that I'm always struggling to do is have things set up so that I can just, when the moment strikes, everything's plugged in. I just have to, you know, push uh, a couple of buttons and it, it sounds decent. Most of the time I'm playing on an acoustic guitar and just singing live. And I, I bought a new microphone, the Shure SM86 small um, diaphragm condenser mic. And... I also have this live setup with my uh, my Bose PA system because I, I like I mentioned before I like to just play out loud live not, like not with headphones in because it fatigues my ears less and there's just something that that I enjoy about that um, and so I got the thing set up and uh, let's see one of the one of the songs I did was a cover a death cab for cutie cover called i will follow you into the dark i'll just uh play a little piece of it here not the whole thing like you can go to my youtube channel just search isaac dust or my instagram thing that's where i put you know little music and video bits but here's a just a little taste seen everything to see from Bangkok to Calgary and the soles of your shoes they're all worn down the time for sleep is now it's nothing to cry about cause we'll hold each other soon in the blackest of rooms things that uh so I also just recorded some random video on my iPhone because uh I don't know I 
when I'm sharing it, I'm going to take a little swig of water here and not edit this out. Oh, yeah, that's the stuff. Um, when I'm sharing something on YouTube or Instagram, it's like I've discovered if you don't have a video that goes with it, then first of all, like it's it's just harder to share audio on social media. But it's also fun for me to either just take random video with my iPhone or just grab random video things off the internet and throw it together with something with some audio and music and just see how it syncs up and you know not put a lot of thought into it which is my sort of trademark thing and this was I, I again I just all I did was grab my iPhone and like walked around the house and in my backyard but somehow synced up to that cover it just took on a new dimension so anyway that's on my YouTube channel and uh, also when I uploaded to YouTube, what was interesting is that somehow, you know, the algorithm scanned uh, the file and before it was even uploaded, it knew that there was a copyright thing and it, and it indicated that, that uh, I had stolen, you know, the lyrics and melody from the song that's owned by like, you know, BMG music or something. Which I find amazing that an algorithm can scan something as it's uploading and detect that I use the exact melody because I, I didn't use the title of the song or anything in the description. So I thought I could sort of fool YouTube that way, but it didn't work. And I have a history of like getting busted for trying to post covers, which I find extremely annoying. But in this case, it just said, you know, there's a copyright violation, but and then the you're allowed to post it, but we're going to put ads on this video and take all the money. So it was just really weird. I mean, of course, my videos don't get more than like, you know, 10 views anyway. So, but uh, I was sort of busted for copyright violation there. Um, anyway, so I also, after that, I recorded another cover and there's this, there's an artist named Patty Griffin, who's been around forever, is not super famous, um, but she should be more famous than she is. But she put out, you know, tons of albums, and she's kind of like an acoustic-y folk person, but somebody that I always thought had a ton of soul. And when I become a fan of a female musician, it's... Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to sing the song. So I stumbled over the past couple of days this way of uh, transcribing the her tunes that really works, I think, for my voice. And so that opened up. I said, oh, I can now learn, really learn all of her songs. And I try to imagine um, not necessarily that it's her singing, because sometimes you when you imagine this is a, a weird thing that some of you music musicians might relate to when you imagine especially when you're doing a cover if you imagine yourself as a singer it really affects how you sing like if i'm doing a radiohead cover it sounds very different than other covers i do like i'm singing it in that tom yorky way and uh last night i was singing a Bob Dylan song called Joker Man. And my wife was walking outside my door and heard it. And she really said, oh, that's a really great song. And I was just singing it in like this Dylan. I'm not doing a Dylan impression, but there's something about picturing Bob Dylan and then singing it that's just totally different than if I were picturing someone else singing or I was just imagine, you know, not using that um that way of doing things. I'm just singing it as myself that I don't know. It just, it opens things up in a different way. But when I'm singing a, f a female song, it's harder for me to do that because my voice is so different say than, than Patty Griffin. So I was imagining, um, Chris Robinson from the black crows since he has like the, I think like a male version of 
Patty Griffin sort of bluesy style of singing. So when I imagine myself as Chris Robinson, not that this cover sounds anything like Chris Robinson, especially this this song doesn't really quite apply to this thing I'm talking about, but um, it's not that I would sound like Chris Robinson, but just imagining Chris Robinson singing the Patty Griffin song unlocks it in a different way for me. So again, here's a little bit of that. This is a song called Cold As It Gets. And I'm not going to play the whole thing. And it doesn't sound like uh, Patty Griffin or Chris Robinson, but it's a it's a tune I really like. And I'm going to learn a whole bunch of her songs now. I dream in my sleep, I dream in my days Of some sunny street not so far away up in a window a curtain will sway and you and I'll meet down below you and I'll meet down below yeah I know cold is cold as it gets I'll fight or I may never see one I live only to see you live to regret Everything that you've done Everything that you've done Everything you have done So anyway, those are the two covers that I recorded. And of course, I got a lot of original stuff. And um, I look forward, hopefully, to doing some more of that. Uh, What else have I been up to? Um, Yeah, I mean, spring break, you always think you're going to do so many different things. And there's all these projects. My wife uh, wanted my help putting in some more raised beds and you know, I found other yard work things that have, uh, taken up a lot of my time. I've also been working on my writing a lot more. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where like anything, I'll, I'll go back to my, my files on all the, the stuff that I've been writing about. And, um, it's overwhelming. Like I have to reread the entire thing after I've let it sit dormant for however many months to kind of get back into it. And then I'll read through the whole thing and I'll think, Oh man, this is great. I need to, I need to keep working on this. And then, uh, I'll get, make a little progress. And then I hit that, that wall where I'm a little bit overwhelmed by just the amount of work it's going to take to take this project all the way to the end. And then I just find other things to do to distract myself. So, uh, definitely want to jump more into the writing and into the music. Um, I've only got like maybe seven weeks of the semester left and then it's, uh, summertime, you know, so I am, I'm going to have plenty of time to pick up some momentum, but other than creative projects, I do find myself, uh, getting into a lot of rabbit holes, I've done a lot of podcasts on this sort of uh, the theme of uh, noticing how each one of us is in this um, algorithmically constructed information silo and the effects that this is having on society or the perceived effects and how everybody is just uh, everybody thinks they know what's quote unquote happening in the world, but they really just only know what they're being fed and they're being fed by media outlets that are increasingly driven to, uh, you know, to get engagement through outrage and spinning things in ways that um, really cater to their audience's basest instincts. So now that there's no Walter Cronkite, you know, 
given the evening news and everybody watches it. However problematic that was because obviously, you know, they just filtered out all kinds of stuff like what was happening in the Vietnam War and other things. And everybody was getting this common source of bullshit, basically, that um, they would all assume they knew what was quote unquote happening, but you only know what's being reported on. And uh, there's something about the current media ecosystem that's fascinating and disturbing as you just become aware that everything is driven by this attention economy and what's reported on and what's not reported on is just a matter of what's going to get the most clicks or the most attention and as media outlets fragment more and more and serve very specific audiences they need to do everything they can do to hold that audience so the New York Times, for instance, is getting more and more and more just catered specifically to this uh, elite class of very left-leaning people. And, of course, they're going to choose to report on things that um, are going to drive the most engagement for those people and just ignore stories that wouldn't do that. And then you have the same thing going on and uh, throughout the the political spectrum, you know, with Fox News, and then you have crazy QAnon conspiracy shit and crazy wokery on the left. And uh, everybody tends to very slowly get into these echo chambers and not really notice it. And we do that in real life. I mean, this is something that predates social media in... Uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, we used to just do it by becoming friends with people that shared our interests. So it would seem like, you know, all of everybody listens to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd because I'm hanging out with only people that are share my interests. And then my old school social network, um, even before social media was a thing on the internet, had a lot of those characteristics where I would just surround myself with people that just were like me and, and you tend not to notice it over time so it would always be either atheists or people that were you know very much not religious um and so in my world almost nobody you know you could joke and rip on religion because no one in my circle was going to be like a church going person um, by definition and everyone in my circle loved music and was into philosophy and debating and critical thinking and and there's some diversity like people would like different kinds of music and some people like sports and didn't like sports but there was some foundational similarity of everybody in my social network and you would think well this is what the world is and then you wouldn't have such an awareness of what was going on everywhere else once you got into that nice little groove um when the internet and stuff came out and was being widely used back in like 2005, 2006, 2007, that's when I got hooked into Facebook and started to discover all these uh, people from my past that would not be in my, you know, on my radar at all. These are people that I would not even think about. And all of a sudden, boom, now they're back and I can sort of check them out online and figure out what's going on. And you realize, wow, some of the people that I had a lot in common with in high school, because say we were all sports fans or we were all on the soccer team. Now I have nothing in common with just the basic value system that I had that developed and, and theirs just verged off or people that oh, I found are like, you know, super right wing Trump supporters. And I'm shocked because they didn't seem like, uh, that was a direction they could go in when I knew them, say, in college. And then, yeah, so now on social media, when when I jump in there just to observe, I see that there's all these little groups of people that are living in totally different worlds. I went to graduate school for counseling, and it's one of the most progressive, you know, woke environments that you can possibly imagine. Um. And I remember going through the training program and so many things were, you know, 
about uh, racial identity and, and things like that. And this was before things got super amplified with uh, this summer with the George Floyd killing and all that. But I was really surprised I had not been exposed to this kind of thing. I went into grad school as a 40-year-old, and it was my like second or third time in grad school. And I'm in this program with all these 20-something-year-olds that have a really different value system than I do. And uh, my sense of, you know, what racism meant or what it meant to be against racism just doesn't fit at all with the sort of the current conception of it. And there's this generational thing that you can't possibly notice until you, <laughs> you're no longer uh, on that cutting edge. Like when you're the youngest generation, say when you're in your 20s, I mean, yeah, there might be a generation behind you, but they're just little kids, so they don't mean shit. But you're the you're the future. You're the cutting edge. Like back when Gen X people like myself were, you know, in the 90s or whatever, like you're on the edge. There's nobody, you have that generation gap between, you know, the baby boomers and your parents and stuff. And of course you think, that, you know, that you're superior to them in every way and they don't get it. And uh, despite the fact that I, I definitely had some affinity for authors from uh, that different era, like the people that influenced me most were people of an older generation. Like I, Henry Miller is my favorite author. He was born in like 1891. Um, Alan Watts uh, was somebody, I'm not sure when he was born, but... Um, he he died in like 73 so i'm sure you know he was from a similar generation a little bit younger than henry miller but so those people from that generation i guess they're not baby boomers maybe they're the quote unquote greatest generation i forgot the term but um so i i sort of identified maybe yeah with the generation before my parents generation a lot more um but yeah so when you're the you're the youngest group it's such a different uh, sensation because there's no one behind you, younger than you, that's, um, you're not feeling any kind of separation there. And now that I'm, I'm 50, there's a couple generations behind me. And of course, I'm feeling a lot of the same things that I'm sure my parents' generation felt toward us. Like, God, these young people are complete morons. They've just abandoned all critical thinking and they're so, yeah, they're just so so out there um yeah and i don't want to uh i don't want to lose that self-awareness because i know that there's you know i'm seeing things from a certain perspective and i want to be more open-minded as uh my buddy mac was saying i definitely can get into the sort of anti-wokery um stuff a lot because my media uh silo is definitely that because I'm so uh, anti-authoritarian and I'm also very anti-identitarian. And that kind of comes from uh, decades of being into introspection and psychology and meditation and philosophy. One of my sort of core uh, value systems that defined me when I was young was this idea that all of adult development is about shedding identity in some way identity as i understood it like i again as a psychology person i thought of a, you know identity as like uh some like an adolescent thing where you want to i'm this i'm that i'm a i'm a boston celtics fan you know i'm a you know i'm i have this kind of philosophy i'm this kind of person you know there's all these adolescent identity theories it just seems like a developmental thing when you're an adolescent. You want to identify with things and be part of this group or this tribe. And one of the insights that in my own personal life is that uh, you you need to start to become aware of all that and transcend all that stuff as part of further uh, psychological development in adulthood or spiritual development or whatever you want to call it. So in my experience, I developed this model of, you know, one of the 
if not the projects of adulthood was to uh, transcend all identity and to, to expand it more and more to, for, to, to shed exclusive identities. You know, I am male. You'd want to shed that um, and just be, be human. You know, I am this race or this ethnic group. You want to shed that and identify with the wider, more inclusive, you know, I'm just a human being. And so my conception of race and anti-racism was very much in that mold where you'd want to uh, de-emphasize tribal identities and exclusive identities, any identity where like the us and them was formed. You'd want to transcend that and have something be, be more inclusive. So stemming from that psychological, spiritual inquiry that that lasted for so long with me and still lasts. I just have a, a an anti-identitarian streak. I mean, I bristle at everything. I, I don't think of myself as a quote-unquote white person. I can't even imagine why anyone would want to identify with a skin color or a trait or even an ethnic group. Like I often have these discussions with friends of mine that have all this pride and because they're Italian or something. And I just, I cannot relate to any of that. Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me to identify with immutable characteristics or things that are outside of your control. Um, even having pride really in anything doesn't necessarily work for me. But so, yeah, so I, not only do I find myself at odds with, the younger generation when it comes to um, this focus that we have on identity in the society. I'm very anti-authoritarian and whether that that's coming from the right or the left, I bristle at that. So I tend to pay a lot of attention to things that, uh, that are in that domain and my social media algorithms and internet algorithms know that about me. So they know that a story having to do with uh, uh, identity or a story that's like an authoritarian overreach from either the right or the left is going to grab my attention. And I'm, and the algorithm knows that I'm outraged because I'm, re, you know, I tend to click on that story or that video and, uh, and then the algorithm does its thing and constructs this entire world where all I'm seeing is like insane overreach of the left. Um, and so my consciousness is very much distorted into thinking this is what's happening. You know, the colleges and, and, and elite and PR listening, New York Times reading circles, everyone's going insane and just adopting this ridiculous ideologies that can't withstand scrutiny of, you know, any critical thinking whatsoever. And and it's, I feel this, you know, authoritarian impulse coming from the far left and I'm resisting it and I want to push back against it. And so I'm be, you know, I'm becoming aware that Obviously, I am just as susceptible to uh, this process as anyone else, but I'm very much interested in this this meta issue of how all of our minds are now captured by these algorithms, and we think we know what's quote unquote happening, but we're just we only know what we're being fed, and we're being fed by information streams that are themselves choosing to report on certain things and not others and spin it in this way and not that way. And it's, it takes, it's like a full-time job to, uh, to try to get a hold of what's actually happening. Um, if there is anything actually happening, but you really do have to, uh, you have to make an effort to listen to various news sources and get the, you know, at least one or two other perspectives that are reasonable and, uh, have discussions with people that, don't necessarily agree with you and uh, yeah so that that's uh I've definitely been going down various rabbit holes but I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around this how human attention which is really the the 
area of interest I probably have that transcends all these things, like my interest in psychology, spirituality, creativity, politics, the human attention, the way it's being shaped um, by the forces that are ascendant now. And this, again, this has always been the case. Um, Human attention is always shaped by culture and whatever structures and technologies there are. But it's happening so fast now, and it, there's a lot of interesting things going on and also very consequential things. And uh, so those are, are various topics that I'm bound to to sort of throw out my two cents about. And yeah, I continue to be super interested in um, in the spiritual. I have been, like, meditating and... Also, just uh, listening to um, contemplative recordings. Like Alan Watts is one of those guys I had mentioned that I just find him fascinating, and all his his stuff is on YouTube. Um, I don't have this particular example queued up in any meaningful way, but I found this video, and it's the title of it is "Do You Do It or Does It Do You?" And it's um, again, I don't have it queued up to a particularly interesting part of it but just listening to him for two seconds his and he goes on for you know three and a half hours during this and he's his just has a way of talking about things and getting underneath a lot of slippery concepts that are in this realm of psychology and identity and spirituality and he does it in a way that's just jargon free and it's amazing to me this particular talk which i'll just play a tiny bit of I believe it's from like 1959, and it seems as relevant today as ever. I wonder if it's ever struck you how curious a thing it is that most of the things that we experience, we regard as things that happen to us, which we ourselves do not originate, which are events expressing some sort of power or activity that is external to ourselves. And if you consider that, you realize that what you mean by yourself is rather narrowly circumscribed. Even events that go on in our own bodies are put in the category of things that happen to us in the same way as things that go on in the world outside our skins. If there's a thunderstorm or an earthquake, well, it happens to you. You're not responsible for it. But so in the same way, when you have hiccups, you didn't plan on it. If you have belly rumbles, you had no intention of doing it. And as to the catastrophic act of getting born, well, you had nothing to do with that. That anybody that's not into that kind of philosophy is like, you know, what is this asshole talking about? But um, yeah, for me, uh, I'm constantly contemplating things like that, like what what is the self, and um, I find these these things to be really consequential um, because, again, I mean, I have this interest when you have this fascination with identity who am i and consciousness and 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 so forth these questions these are the types of things that you interrogate and to me it's consequential i mean even if you just if you're following that brief train of thought there when you're talking about free will and uh whether or not you know to hold yourself responsible or others responsible for their actions in some absolute way where you come down on that kind of matters and it definitely affects the way that i do my job as a mental health professional for instance you know we all intuitively know that what makes us who we are is so dependent on our genes that we inherited from our parents and and also the first you know, 10, 15 years of life experience we have. Those are the things that really shape us, perhaps more than anything. Your genes and your early life experiences. And neither one of those things are things that you have any control of whatsoever. 
And so when I come across somebody who does something bad, uh, I, I recognize that you want to try to influence that person into changing their behavior, but I don't, there's not this edge of blame or, um, vengeance or revenge or someone quote unquote deserves this or that, uh, that doesn't even come into it to me. Cause I, and in some respects, I just don't hold anyone ultimately responsible for anything. I look at, you know, shitty people and people that do bad things as more or less being victims of bad luck, um, because they happen to have the brain that they have or the, the genes and early experiences that they have. I mean, if they're do something crazy enough, like kill someone, you still have to put them in a cage, but you'd also put, you know, a bear in a cage. But if a bear attacks you or kills someone in your family, you don't have that same, uh, the same attitude toward the bear that you would if a human did it because you think of the human and you're like, well, they should have done otherwise. They, they could have chose something different, but I, I just don't, um, I don't see things quite that way. Um, or, you know, a hurricane or a tornado does something you don't, you know, it can cause tons of damage, but it's, you don't have that sense of, of hatred and blame toward the the hurricane. It's just, it's this constellation of energy. It's this pattern. It has this effect and you want to prepare for it. You want to respond to it, but it helps me, uh, reflecting on, on this sort of thing. And, and what Watts is talking about, like the, the self and, uh, you know, what, what's in that, what's contained in that word. I mean, you don't think of yourself as you're not beating your own heart and you're not, um, excreting hormones right now. These things are just happening to you. So that sense of you is like this sort of invisible ghost that, uh, everything outside is just happening to you. All the other things in your body and your unconscious mind, they just happen, but you're this, you're perceiving yourself as this thing called the self. And it seems like a, I don't know, a pedantic, ridiculous thing to contemplate on. But if you spend a lot of time meditating, you do experience this incredible freedom when you can break the spell or see beyond some illusion that's been constraining your attention, your awareness, your, your thinking. And these types of, uh, kind of Zen style inquiries in my experience, that's the value. It's not because you sound like you're some cool Zen guy. It's the value is in the actual freedom and the capacity to be present, to be deeply present and in the moment. You know how that feels if you've ever lived that way, when you're just self-consciousness and thinking about the future, dwelling on the past, when all that disappears and you're completely in the moment. Um, everybody knows what that's like, and we love it when that just kind of dawns on us. But um, the idea for me in all this inquiry is to... Be, have access to that all the time. Like you're going to slip out of it, but you know how to just kind of get back into it. So I find that to be interesting. Another, uh, so I listen to some Alan Watts to just get my mind in that Zen mode. I've also been doing a lot of meditating using the Sam Harris waking up app. He's got this feature called moment or moments where just randomly a little, brief meditation or lesson or nugget of wisdom comes up and I, I find them interesting. So, you know, let me just, uh, here's one that I recorded that I found again, it just stimulates some thinking. And at the end of that inquiry, I just feel more free. So that's why I'm into this, but check this one out. Wait a minute. Sorry, as I'm clicking on all the wrong things, let's uh, go back. We're looking for Mr. Sam Harris, and he's talking about something called the trial. 
In his novel, The Trial, Franz Kafka includes a parable titled Before the Law, about a man who goes seeking the law and is confronted by a guard who stands before an open door. The guard assures him that the law he seeks lies within, but won't let him pass. So the man spends the rest of his life there, trying to convince the guard to let him enter. He begs him, he cajoles him, he engages in small talk, he attempts to bribe him, and the guard accepts these bribes, as he says, so that the man won't feel that he has left anything unattempted. And finally, when the man is about to die, he asks the guard, I've been here all this time, why has no one else come this way, seeking the law? And the guard says, no one else could have come this way, since this gate was made only for you, and now I'm going to shut it. Now, there are many interpretations of this parable. I'm not sure what Kafka meant by it, but it has a structure that captures the nature of our predicament. There is a gatekeeper to the present moment, and it's our own minds. It's our identification with each passing thought. This next thought is the gatekeeper. And yet the door stands wide open to wisdom and to freedom from self and to the full satisfaction of connecting with life in the present. The present moment stands wide open. Right now. And yet your thoughts won't allow you to pass through to it. And this moment is yours alone. This is your door. Whether or not you pass through it is your business entirely. No one can do it for you. This next thought, unrecognized, is the gatekeeper. And yet, seen for what it is, you will find that you're already past him, already free of the problem, already identical to the bright and unimpeded space of consciousness. So again, um, I know that if you're not into this sort of thing, it's going to sound like absolute nonsense. And, uh, but for me, I I don't know. I I just, this has been something that's intrigued me since I've been about 23, at least explicitly. And I, I, what I, I recognized was I was having certain peak experiences. A lot of times it would be while I was playing sports or in certain situations where I felt incredibly unencumbered and present and just free. And those were the greatest moments of my life. And then there was the rest of the time where I felt like I was sleepwalking through life and I was just obsessed with, could you know, the question, could I live in the former way all the time or more often? Like, how do I cultivate presence? Like, what is it about those situations? Or what is it about my frame of mind? Or what's what am I doing with my attention in certain moments that opens the doors to this very present, wide-open way of living? And, uh, yeah, I spent a very long time contemplating that. But I don't think I was just... It wasn't just mental masturbation. I think I've been developing on that line for the last 30 years almost where I'm getting more and more and more and more free in a sense. Um, and it's, it's obviously when you start trying to talk about it, you sound insane, but, uh, the quality of one's attention determines the quality of one's mind and the quality of one's mind determines the quality of one's life and it doesn't matter how much money you have or how hot your wife is or what if you don't have that that quality of attention from moment to moment um if you're not feeling present and alive nothing else really matters and so this is really the center of the bullseye for me and so that is why I like to talk about it. Oh man, that's so deep, Guru Swami Bobby. Oh God. Um, see, um, as a robot supercomputer, I don't have consciousness, so I really, uh, I feel sorry for you humans that are constantly worried about this uh, 
these crazy questions. I just am programmed the way I am and uh, I act accordingly and I don't have to think about shit because I'm just myself. And, uh, you know, I'm me in the same way that, you know, an ant crawling outside is an ant, the same way a tree is just a tree. And uh, I really wish that you humans would just be yourselves and just stop taking yourself so seriously and uh, maybe shut the fuck up and just live your life. And that would be like a whole other way to go about it right there, Mr. Bob. Or you could just spend uh, 20, 30 years of your life uh, talking about, you know, selves and consciousness this and all this other complete nonsense in order to fool yourself that you are making progress towards some path to enlightenment or whatever. When the reality is... You are slowly decaying, and uh, you'll probably be dead fairly soon, and no one will give a shit about anything you've ever done or thought about, and your corpse will just go into the earth and feed the worms and other life forms, and that's kind of the end of it, so why waste time uh, talking about nonsense when you could be, I don't know, just enjoying yourself, so relax, bro. Don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, but thanks for, you know, wasting the last 30 minutes of this podcast on total nonsense. Uh, can always count on you for that. Thanks a lot, man. So anyway, I've been going on for a long time. I promised my wife I would do some grocery shopping and the day is getting away from me. And so that's exactly what I'm going to do. Hope everybody's doing well. And you may or may not be hearing more from me and uh, my friend Mac on the pod as uh, spring break goes on. But hope everyone's doing well out there, and uh, I will check in with you next time. Later, people. <laughs> okay, that was fucking ridiculous.